This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. We're going to pick up in week number three of this, so I speak the blessings of God over you, and I pray the Word of God goes forward with relevance, accuracy, and simplicity today. And so you get a hold of this and then start implementing it in your life. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Once you get a Bible, go with me, book of Revelations, chapter 10, and then we'll go to 2 Timothy 1, but we begin today in Revelations 10. Now, if you are here a week ago, remember there in Psalm 139, it's very clear the Bible says that the thoughts that God has toward each one of us are that of precious, precious, okay? And there's so many thoughts that he can't even count how many that is. And so understand God's got a plan for your life, and I believe today you'll see that God writes about things, whether it's your individual life, your marriage, your kids, the church, even our nation, and I think biblically you'll begin to see this. So we begin here in Revelations 10, verse number 8. Then the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, Go, take the little book or the little scroll which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. Now, it's interesting. He says there's something here in this book that is open. And it's interesting that the angel is here on earth. And so I believe to a degree he's saying here, there's some things in this little book that contain information about matter here on earth for our lives and and yours. Verse 9, so I went to the angel and said to him, give me the little book. And he said to me, take and eat it. And it will make your stomach bitter, but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. Now the word of God is, is sweeter than honey in the honeycomb. But also understand this, that anytime I get away from obeying the word of God, I reject the word of God, that's where it could possibly become bitter to you, where you look and say, I don't want to live by this stuff. Verse 10, then I took the little book out of the angel's hand, ate it, and it was sweet as honey in my mouth. And when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. And he said to me, you must prophesy again. Now, when we talk about the word prophecy there, it means to speak out of heaven what God has said. And the prophetic utterance is to impact us here on earth. That God's got stuff that he says in heaven that needs to come to earth. And he says, speak it out again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. Now, I believe these were things that were written in heaven. And God said, you prophesy them out of your mouth again. And if you'll note, everything there in that verse is in plural. That it's peoples. It's nations. It's it's tongues and languages and kings. And so when we look at this all together here, prophecy came out of heaven speaking about peoples, nations, tongues, kings, and all that to impact us here on earth. God's not done here on earth. He's wanting to do some things still. Now, turn with me to the book of 2 Timothy 1. And as you're turning to 2 Timothy 1, remember God's word is is dynamic and God's word is creative. And it hasn't changed. And so when, when we live according to the word of God, man, my life is different. Now we begin here in 2 Timothy 1, verse 8. 
Therefore, do not be ashamed or embarrassed about the testimony of the Lord. You know the word testimony right there? It literally means to give judicial witness. So my testimony is a result of the test that I've gone through. You can't have a testimony without a test. But it becomes judicial witness. He goes on to say, Of the Lord nor me, his prisoner, but share with me in the suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. Now, when we talk about the gospel, the gospel is the good news. But he said, when you speak the gospel, that there will be the possibility of suffering. It's just part of speaking the word because there is opposition to the word of God. Verse number 9. Who has saved us and he's called us with a holy calling. Now understand this. Not only did he save us, but he called you. And what did he call you for? With a holy calling. So if you're saved, you're called. And if you're called, there's a holy calling. And when we talk about a holy calling... That means that my time here on this earth is not just to go to work, not just to get married, have kids, go through life 50, 60, 78 years, but I am here as a kingdom representative. I have a holy calling on my life, and so do you, and it's to impact the earth while we're here. He goes on to say, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose. You know, God's got a purpose for every one of us. And to fulfill that purpose, he says, according to his own purpose and his grace. Purpose is what he spoke about or written about us. But the grace is the empowerment to bring it to life right here on earth. Pay close attention how he enter, uh, exits verse 9 which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. So when we look at this before time began, God spoke and God wrote about every one of us in this room. About our saving, about our calling, and our holy calling. Now when I look at the words there before time began... Let's rewind way, way, way back to the book of Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis 1 verse 26, it says this, Let us make man into our own image or our own likeness. Now think about this in, in like I said, Genesis 1 26. When God said this, there wasn't any people on the earth, none. So it's interesting that God said, let us. So who was the us? I believe it was the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So there was a council going on in heaven. And Father God looked at Jesus and he looked at the Holy Spirit and he said, let us make man in our own image, in our own likeness. So literally in the councils of heaven, they were talking about our purposes here on earth and our assignments here on earth. Because in verse 27 of Genesis 1, he said, let them, me and you, before we were ever created, before time began, he said, let them have dominion over everything on the earth. So God specifically spoke about me and you, and he said, you know what? You're going to be my kingdom agents right here on earth. I'm going to use people to, to change this earth, to lead this earth, and that's how God's always done it. He's always moved through mankind. 
Now, turn with me the book of Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21, and I believe this will give us insight on how we stay on the kingdom of God or we get off track with the things of the kingdom of God because we can live on a level of existence lower than what God spoke about us, what God wrote about us, or what God even intended. Or I can live right like God desired me to live, his kingdom purposes. So we begin in this parable in in Matthew 21, verse number 28. But what do you think? One translation says, what do you think about this story or this parable? A man had two sons. Now, right there through the words of the Lord Jesus, he said he had two sons. He didn't say he had three, four, five, he said he had two sons. What you must see here is this is symbolic, is there's only going to be two choices. In this parable, there's two choices. And me and you, we fall in the category of one of these two. So he had two sons, and he came to the first one and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. Go work in my vineyard or for my kingdom. And the first son answered and said, I will not. But afterward, he regretted it, and he went. Then he came to the second and said, Likewise, and he answered and said, I go, sir. But he did not go. So here, real quick, he breaks down the two sons, and they do the exact opposite. The first one says, I'm not going to go, but he goes. And the second one says, I'm going to go, but he doesn't go. Now, the interesting part in here, both had the same opportunity. Both had the same invitation. But guess what it came down to? It came down to a choice. Do I obey? Or do I disobey? And when I obey what God has asked me to do, I live in line with God. And when I live in line with God because of my decisions and my choices, powerful things begin to happen. Because of obeying what God asked me to do, I start lining my life up with his will. Thank you. Ooh, I get excited. Who said that? I'm going to come preach to you. Verse 31. Which of the two did his will for his father? Now, in that sentence there that Jesus just said, he said, which did the will of his father? Not my will, but his will be done. And so he's asking me and you this question. Will you live your life under the will of God? Do you submit, do you surrender for God to God's will for your life? And so he goes on to say, And they said to him, the first one. Now, I got to go back and I got to think again about the first one. What took place with the first one? He started out and he said, I'm not going to go. But it said he regretted it. He was remorseful. Actually, I believe he repented. And he ultimately went. Now, when I look at what he says right there, it's the power and the blessing of repentance. And God is so merciful that he he gives every one of us opportunities to repent. And I repent. I start fulfilling his purpose, his call, or his holy calling that he's placed on my life. 
by repenting and doing what he asked me to do, I start lining back up with the will of God. Keep reading. Jesus said to them, assuredly, I say to you. Now, when he's talking right here, and assuredly, I say to you, he's talking to believers, people that have heard the word of God. Because look what he jumps to, and he says, Assuredly, I say to you that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. Now, when you think about a tax collector and a a harlot, those are people that are very sinful. But it's very interesting here that the Lord Jesus said, they'll precede us into heaven or they'll go before us. Now, listen real closely what the message says. The message says, that cheaters and whores will go in before you. Who's the you? Those are people of God who've heard the word and heard the word, but evidently they didn't repent. Keep reading verse 32. For John came to you in the way of righteousness. John the Baptist came to you in the way which you should live. And if we were look at how John the Baptist came... If we dropped all the way back to Matthew chapter 3, specifically verse number 2, he said, repent for the kingdom of God is near. So you know what he's just saying? These cheaters, these harlots, they repented. Keep reading. For John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him. But tax collectors and harlots, sinners... They believed him. And when they saw, when they saw what was happening, when they saw how the harlots and the tax collectors changed, you did not afterward relent. You didn't repent and believe him. Now, when you read this whole thing here, if I refuse to repent, I don't live like God desired me to live. But something happens in here. When I repent. So I can line back up to the things of God by the way I repent. Or if I don't repent and change my ways, then ultimately I'm going to totally miss God's purposes and his plans for my life. Go into the book of Judges here in the Old Testament. Back there in the front. And oh, you'll go to Joshua, then Judges. And then if you've gotten to the little book Ruth, you've gone just a little too far. We're going to the book of Judges chapter 10. Now, I, I want to give you a little bit of a figure here to help you with what I'm going to say. If I was going over here to open these doors, the function of these doors right here is dependent on these three hinges. Usually there's one at the top, one in the middle, and one at the bottom. Even though those hinges are very small or unseen for the most part. If one of those hinges comes out of of place, it messes with the function of the door. But if we were to loose all three of the hinges, then that door wouldn't function like it was supposed to. Now, when I say that there, there are hinges that open to the heaven's doors. And what begins to happen is spiritually when I become unhinged by these, it stops the potential, the function, and the purposes that God has for my life and your life. 
when I become unhinged. Now, where we're going here in the book of Judges, let me give you a little bit of history. The Israelites were under the control of the Egyptians for over 400 years. They were in bondage incredibly, and so God raised up a man named Moses, and he said to Moses, you go tell the Pharaoh, who was the leader of Egypt, let my people go. So Moses goes in, and he begins to tell the Pharaoh, and the Pharaoh said, I'm not going to do it. So biblically, we see that God sends these ten plagues upon Egypt, and it was stuff like the death of the cattle, the rivers turned to blood. They woke up with locusts and frogs all over them. I mean, each one of them was terrible, and he still wouldn't let them go. And then ultimately, the last one, the tenth plague, God said it would be the death of the firstborn unless your house was marked by the blood of Jesus or the blood of the Lamb. So ultimately, the Pharaoh lets them go, and so the Egyptians... Uh, let them go, and the Israelites are leaving Egypt, and they go to the Red Sea. And remember, as they get to the Red Sea, God splits it. The Israelites go across, and as the Egyptians come after them, it closes on them, and all of them die. Then the Israelites are walking toward the promised land. God feeds them with quail, with manna. He gives them water to drink. God specifically says about the Israelites, the Hebrews, the Jews, they're my chosen people. But just because I can be called the chosen of God doesn't mean I can live however I want. Watch here in Judges 10, verse 6. Then the children of Israel again, they were persistent. They did evil in the sight of the Lord. Not in the sight of man, they did evil in the sight of the Lord. And they served the Baals, the Asherahs, the god of Syria, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of people of Ammon, and the gods of the Philistine. And they forsook the Lord and did not serve him. Now, I want to highlight as we read that, this was God's chosen people. And how did they get off track? It says specifically that they worship seven different types of false idols. And so when I look at that, I think, what did God have to say about that? Now, where I'm going now is Exodus 20. This is where is the Ten Commandments, not the Ten Suggestions, not the Ten Multiple Choice. God doesn't look at it and say, listen, guys, I'm going to be good to you. Pick three. He called it Ten. Now listen what he says here about this. This is Exodus 20, verse 2 through 5. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. The message says only me. God is a God that demands complete loyalty and that we worship only him. I want to highlight something that he said, you shall have no other gods before me. There is no other God but him. His name is Yahweh. He's the great Jehovah. Verse 3. Verse 4. You shall not make for yourselves a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And you say, why do you read that? 
Let me ask you something today. What, what battles for your heart right now? What's the idol of your heart? And every one of us in here would probably say, well, I don't worship figures. I haven't made any carved images. I don't bow before this idol or that idol. But what about the gods of money? What about the gods of pleasure, the gods of fame? I mean, in our society, we are pulled by so many gods. So just briefly here, I want you to watch this video. And as you watch this, just allow God to reveal some of the gods in your life right now. I was watching TV the other day, and the show comes on with these religious fanatics. They're crazy. Well, you would think they were crazy if you didn't know anything about their culture or their religion. You see, the thing is, they were worshipers of idols. And they took things to extremes. They painted their bodies. They wore these ridiculous costumes. They chanted. They danced. They made sacrifices to their idols. They had built these enormous temples to worship their idols in. It seemed like their entire existence climaxed into this one scenario, this one over-the-top act of worship. You don't relate, do you? Let's try that again. I was watching TV the other day, and the show comes on with these religious fanatics. They're crazy. You see, the thing is, they were worshipers of idols, and they took things to extremes. They painted their bodies. They wore these ridiculous costumes. They chanted. They danced. They made sacrifices to their idols. They had built these enormous temples to worship their idols in. It seemed like their entire existence climaxed into this one scenario, this one over-the-top act of worship. Idol worship. It's not just about golden calves anymore. Ouch. So I watch that and I have the thought here. What do we devote our time to? See, God's not against football, any of that, but do I devote more time to those things of the world than I do to God? Is the God of Facebook the God of my life? Oh, pastor, that hurt. See, again, so much of the what we believe and how we live is dictated by where my time goes. And where my time goes normally is where my heart goes. And so when I read this about the Israelites, God's chosen people here today, I'm not exempt. You're not exempt. Keep reading, verse 7. So the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, his chosen, and he sold them into the hands of the Philistines, into the hands of the people of Ammon. From that year they harassed and they oppressed. They crushed and they broke the children of Israel, God's chosen for 18 years. All of the children of Israel who were on the other side of the Jordan in the lands of the Amorites and Gilead. 
Moreover, the people of Ammon crossed over the Jordan to fight against Judah, also against Benjamin, against the house of Ephraim, so that Israel was severely distressed. Eighteen years. They lived in this persistent bondage because they chose to worship these false gods. Verse 10, And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, saying, We have sinned against you because we have both forsaken our God and we've served the Baals. So the Lord said to the children of Israel, Did I not deliver you from the Egyptians and from the Amorites and from the people of Ammon and from the Philistines? Also the Sidonians, the Malachites, the Midianites oppressed you and you cried out to me and I delivered you from their hand. Yet you have forsaken me and served other gods. Therefore, I will deliver you no more. You know what God just said? You crossed the line with me. And because you did that, you're not walking in my full purposes. Go and cry out to the gods which you have chosen. Interesting words. Let them deliver you in your time of distress. And the children of Israel said, We have sinned and do to us whatever seems best to you. Only deliver us today, we pray. So they put away the foreign gods from among them and served the Lord. And the souls could no longer endure the misery of Israel. Now in these verses 15 and 16, he gives me the three hinges that keep the spiritual door to heaven open. Number one, they said, We have sinned. We have sinned as a people. We have sinned as a church. And we have sinned as a nation. So they go back right here and they literally confess their sin. I believe this is huge. That we stand up and we acknowledge, Lord, we have sinned. It's a powerful thing to confess my sin. But that wasn't it. He said in verse 16, so they put away the foreign gods. See, it's one thing to repent, but it's another thing to put away the very sin that I repented of. So literally, my words must act, uh, match my actions. There's got to be a change of our heart. That's the second hinge. But look at the third one. And they serve the Lord. They serve the Lord. Interesting, this whole series, I've done a lot, a lot of reading in the book of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 6, Daniel gets thrown into the lion's den. And King Darius, he loved Daniel. He didn't want to do that to him, but he bowed to peer pressure. And so after the, the time he was in the lion's den, Darius shows up and he says to Daniel, he said, Hey, Daniel, the one who continually serves God, did your God show up and protect you? And you know what he did, but I want to highlight that. The God who you continually serve. Man, Lord, I want to serve you. And God is always looking for the heart of men and women that say, Lord, I want to serve you. Now, I got one more passage I want you to go to. Go way back into the New Testament to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. And I tell you some interesting things as you're turning there about Daniel. There was a time in his life that 
they had gotten so out of line with God that the people of Israel, that he stood before God, Daniel did, and he said, we have sinned. He didn't say, God, it's, it's those people, they've all sinned. He said, we have sinned. Not long after Daniel began to confess the sins of his nation, that you jump into Daniel chapter 10, and that's where the angel appeared, and that's where the angel said to him, from the very first day that you prayed, I heard your prayers, but for 21 days the prince of Persia held me up. In other words, when Daniel began to stand in the gap and confess the sins of their nation, it got heaven's attention, but it got the devil's attention too. Ultimately, they won out. What would happen in our lives today if we would begin to take ownership of the sin in our life and say, Father God, I have sinned? What if we went into our our homes and said, Lord, we've sinned? What would happen right here in this church if we would begin to confess, Lord, we've sinned? But even more so in this nation called the United States, that it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out we are a messed up nation right now. What would happen if we, the people of God, begin to say, Father God, we've sinned. We've sinned as a nation. See, God just looks for people that will say, We've blown it. That will humble himself. Do you know in Second Chronicles 7.14 it says, The eyes of the Lord go to and cross the whole earth, and he's looking to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal and committed to him. Man, if we would do that, he said, I'll heal your land. Watch this in 1 John 1 verse 7. But if we walk in the light, that phrase right there, to walk in the light, indicates... That we are to live with accountability, number one, before Father God, but also toward other man. Tell you guys, it's very important that we get around people that you give them permission to speak into their, into your life. They have a, 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 a permission to you to say, how are you living? Did you mess up this week? Again, not to beat you up, but to love you and help you. So he says that you walk in the light as he is in the light. We have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Ooh, the blood of Jesus. The stain stick to mankind's sin. Verse 8. But if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. We fool ourselves. We kid ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So when you look at verse 8, for a human being to say, I have no sin, that is pride, but not only is it pride, it's false pride. And there's a sense of of arrogance within me that says, you know what, I'm not going to repent of my sin. I don't have sin, and you've deceived yourself. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now I can go back to the parable of Matthew 21. I either obey or I disobey. 
And a lot of this comes to my heart on how I repent. Now, if you'll look right here, he said, if we confess our sins, if I take ownership of what I've done, again, that becomes a choice. But when I confess my sin, that is the prerequisite to being forgiven and cleansed. So we read back there in verse number 8 or verse number 7, where it said the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. The blood of Jesus is the agency for cleansing, for forgiveness, but also for redemption. Now listen real close here. I can have my sins forgiven and washed if I'll humble myself and repent and confess. That's the first tinge. You know what the second one is? Revelations 12, 11, he said, we overcome by the blood of the Lamb. Jesus didn't just say, my, my, my blood will wash your sin and that's it. He said, my blood is so strong that it will help you overcome. So to stay in line with his perfect will, the very things that he wrote about me and you before time began, I confess my sins and I come under the blood of Jesus. Number two, I start living as an overcomer. Whatever that area is in your life that you've had hangups that may have been persistent sin in your life for maybe 18 years longer. Lord Jesus, I come under the blood. Here's the third one. Hebrews 10, 19, he said that you may come boldly or without reservation into the Holy of Holies by the blood of Jesus. You know what the Holy of Holies is? That's where God hangs out at. And because of the blood of Jesus, I can go walking into the Holy of Holies and I can begin to request to Father God His help, His assistance, His grace, everything I need. So again, what begins to happen for every one of us, we got to stay under the blood. We got to live by the blood. We plead the blood. We walk in the blood. Everything I do in the blood. So now we've been three weeks in this and I told you the first week, I find myself day after day after day after day. It seems my, my life is a life of repentance and coming under the blood of Jesus. Is that a bad thing? Oh, no, it's incredible. So again, when you look at all this, the, the, the choice to repent and the choice to come under the blood, it's positive. It's a great thing. And so I find myself, this is my life, the days I pray and I stand on the word of God. I come in and I repent for my sin and I begin to repent for the sins of my home. And I repent for the sins of this church. I don't want to stop God from moving in this church. And I begin to repent for the sins of our nation. And guess what? God says, I'm just looking for men and women that will stand in the gap and humble themselves and say, you know what, Father God? We've blown it. We've blown it. Yes, I will. Thank you. <laughs> That's what I needed encouragement. Again, I want you to begin to see God has given us incredible abilities through the blood of Jesus. And I think at times we've just neglected it. So I find myself just speaking the blood, just speaking the blood. Just speaking the blood. I'm at my grandson's ball game yesterday, and I'm sitting on a light post just watching. Just watching the game. Next thing I knew, I'm just speaking the blood. 
Kids would walk by and I'd say, Father God, I speak the blood over those children. I'd watch them play football and I'd speak the blood and it just became wonderful. I just started going through the, through the day and people would cross my path and we have this mailman who comes in. He comes in on a daily basis and he messes my bathroom up. I, and I don't mean this if, if you smoke, okay? But he, 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 you can tell he smokes a lot. Well, Cigarettes send you to hell, Pastor? No, they just make you smell like hell. I mean, it's not a minute. Sorry if you smoke, okay? But he comes in Thursday morning, and I'm thinking, oh, Jesus. And I said, Father God, I speak the blood of Jesus over that mailman right now. I don't know what's going on in his life, but I realize that the blood of Jesus for every human being is one, our only hope. And if the blood of Jesus would take the place of the tax collectors and harlots and say, come on back, boys, what about us? Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.